Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Scharger. My guest today is Brad Edmondson. He's an independent journalist and author of Ice Cream Social, The Struggle for the Soul of Ben and Jerry's. He was in Tucson for the 2015 Festival of Books. Welcome, Brad. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks for having me on. How did you start on the path of studying Ben and Jerry's and writing about it? What made it appealing to you? Well, I'm a I'm a journalist who focuses on on business and corporations pretty much. I've been writing about them for several decades for a variety of publications. But I was always friends with this guy who lived in Ithaca with me named Jeff Furman, uh, who was very active in um, progressive uh, social justice organizations like me. And uh, he was always just doing interesting things. And for years, I didn't really know what J- Jeff did for a living, but I knew that he was somehow involved with Ben and & Jerry's. And then uh, after a while, Jeff um, let me know a little bit more, and then he invited me to write a book about Ben and & Jerry's, and it turns out that he's been involved since the beginning and is the chairman of the board of directors of Ben and & Jerry's. And um, because of his invitation, I was able to get access to pretty much everybody in the company except for Ben and Jerry, and uh, also all of their records. Um, so I spent a year researching Ben and Jerry's uh, and found a really uh, funny, sad, dramatic sort of roller coaster of a story that I think is uh, pretty important and also pretty engaging to a general audience. So it's kind of written as a page turner. What are some of the highlights, some of the points of along the way of starting as a you know a small well, local company and yeah the Ben and Jerry's this the Ben and Jerry's story is really pretty well known. The first couple parts of it is pretty well known. These guys basically these guys were um, you know they they would describe themselves as failures. Um, Jerry wanted to go to medical school, but nobody wanted nobody would accept him. Ben uh, couldn't finish college, couldn't hold a job, but they were best friends, and they decided to uh, open an ice cream store in Burlington, Vermont. Um, and um, you know, they just they just started out without any money, and um, but they learned how to make absolutely delicious ice cream. And their innovation was that, in addition to being extremely rich, the ice cream had chunks in it. Back in the early '80s, that was new. That was really different. And so their product really took off. And so quite uh, without planning to, they became an extremely successful business and a national brand. And the book is sort of about how they struggled to hold on to their values as they rode that growth train for 22 years and eventually lost and lost control of the company and then got it back. What were some of the values that suffered along the way? Well, so Ben & Jerry's was sort of a, in a way, it was really an old-fashioned business. It was a, a business that always believed that um, that it owed something to the community that supported it. And that, you know, that's a very old value in the United States. Ben Franklin writes about how merchants needed to take into account the health of their communities when they were doing business. And, you know, every community has a rotary club where the entrepreneurs are devoted to community projects. They sponsor the Little League team or whatever. These were basically baby boomers who smoked pot and uh, listened to the Grateful Dead who believed the same thing and tried to do it in their own way. So they ended up giving away a tremendous amount of ice cream at these really wacky community parties. Um, But then as the product took off and the 
and the product became national and the company got bigger and bigger, the board of directors, which was Ben Cohen, Jerry Greenfield, and my friend Jeff Furman, and several others, really tried to stick to this ideal as they became a fairly big corporation. And they more or less succeeded. But this was the 80s and 90s when the idea of a socially responsible business was pretty new. And so they did a lot of things for the first time, and they did them by trial and error. And they made a lot of mistakes, which they were very uh, open about, talking about. And so that, that makes the book a little bit more entertaining than your standard business memoir. You're listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson, joined in the studio with Brad Edmondson, independent journalist in Tucson for the 2015 Festival of Books and author of Ice Cream Social, The Struggle for the Soul of Ben and Jerry's. One of the early indications that something unusual was going on was when the company needed to raise money and go essentially go public, sell stock uh, in 1984. And and Ben decided that they would only sell stock to residents of the state of Vermont. And every investment banker they talked to told them that they were absolutely crazy. They'd never sell enough stock. They'd never raise enough money just within the borders of that one small state to finance their ice cream plant. But he said, you know, I'm going to do it anyway. I, Vermonters have built my company. It's time to give them a piece of the action. So they went ahead and did it, and the stock, the stock issue did sell out. And the, for a while, all of the stock was owned by residents of Vermont. And it ended up having this wonderful byproduct effect, which is 1% of the households in the state of Vermont ended up owning stock in Ben & Jerry's. And so they became advocates. And still, when you go to Vermont, people, uh, when people talk about Vermont and what makes Vermont a special place, Ben & Jerry's is usually one of the very first things they talk about. It became a patriotic uh, uh, cause for Vermonters to promote this product. So by giving back to customers, Ben & Jerry's create, made their customers intensely loyal and they did it in me ways that are much more meaningful than most businesses do. The idea was that customers got more than just really good ice cream. They got a piece of the action. And the company really looked out for the welfare of the communities where its product was sold. So they decided to give away 7.5% of their after-tax profits, which is something like four to six times the corporate average. Um, again, the investment bankers told them they were insane. Uh, but they went ahead and did it. They decided on something called a salary ratio, which was that no employee could be paid more than five times as much as the lowest paid employee. Um, they stole that idea from a co-op in Spain, the Mondragon Co-op, which had a, a ratio. Again, all of the mainstream business people told them the business could never work with this condition, but they did it anyway, and it made the employees intensely loyal. So there are people even now at Ben & Jerry's, which has been owned by Unilever for 15 years, who've been at Ben & Jerry's for 25, 30 years. It's their entire career. They're incredibly good at their jobs. They're incredibly committed to the company. And it's because the company treats its employees way better than a standard business does. 
You brought up Unilever and uh, that Unilever has owned Ben and Jerry's for the past 15 years. And so how does it work that these noble business practices are in effect or yeah. or are they or is is it a, a greenwashing or? Well, that's what I thought at the beginning. I really I really thought that I was going to find out uh, the sort of standard story of a of a noble independent business that was gobbled up by a multinational and and as a shadow of its former self. But actually what I found was something far more interesting. Ben and Jerry and Jeff uh, did not want to sell their business. They struggled for over a year to find some way to keep it independent. And it's too complicated to get into why they lost control of the business. But to boil it down to its essence, it was a publicly traded company. And a lot of the shareholders uh, were interested in the returns on their investment and not anything else. So all of the social stuff sort of got a little uh, derailed by the pressure of stockholders to sell once a bidding war started between two multinationals, Nestle and Unilever. And the stock price just got so high that the board of directors was being threatened uh, by shareholders with lawsuits and all kinds of nasty stuff. And they basically lost control of their company and in the end had to sell to Unilever. The thing is that in order, Unilever really wanted Ben & Jerry's very badly. They, competitively, they needed a super premium ice cream based in the United States. And Unilever also knew that Ben & Jerry's had the potential to become a global brand. So the CEO of Unilever at that time told the negotiator, I don't care what this costs. I don't care what you have to do. Get this company. So Ben Cohen, I think, probably knew that. And he negotiated something called a sale agreement, which uh, allowed Ben & Jerry's to e continue to exist as an independent corporation based in Vermont that had one shareholder, and Unilever is its sole shareholder. But the shareholder grants the corporation certain rights, and one of the rights is for, an, for a board of directors that is not appointed by Unilever. Unilever has no control over the board of directors of Ben and & Jerry's, and the board of directors has certain powers. Unilever can't change the way the ice cream is made, and it can't change the ingredients without the approval of the board of directors, because product quality was always extremely important to them. And they knew that the cheapest, or that the, that the surest way to quickly boost profits was to use cheaper ingredients. So so the board of directors has to say yes to changes in the product. And the other thing is is that the board of directors is authorized to enforce a certain level of spending on social mission activities. This uh, extremely generous uh, pay and benefits to employees, uh, extremely generous contributions to the foundation, um, and also marketing campaigns that are themed around social causes. Like Ben & Jerry's was talking about climate change six years before Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth came out. Um, they were supporting same-sex marriage in 1991 when that was a totally out there uh, position to take. And so they've always been way out on the edge in terms of attacking the fundamental causes of social problems rather than just making a donation to a homeless shelter. And the sale agreement allowed them to continue being edgy in that way despite the fact that they were owned by a multinational. Now, the the marriage 
was not a happy one for many years. Um, for many years, Unilever di- didn't really understand the formula that had made Ben & Jerry so successful. Their executives were coming from a very traditional place. Um, and the first thing they did, in fact, was they cut the quality of the ingredients, and they did not tell the board of directors that they'd done so. Um, they shut the board of directors out of the decision-making process for many years. And they continued doing uh, marketing that was themed on social causes, but if essentially it was becoming, more, like, like the ice cream itself, there was more and more air in the mix. There was more marketing and less content. And this is the part of the story that has never been told before and, and what I really uh, was able to contribute by writing this book is that, that the sale happened in 2000 and, and the sort of years in the wilderness went on until around 2008 when the board of directors of Ben & Jerry's finally had enough and they stopped being nice and they basically said to Unilever, look, you signed this agreement we have the power to sue you to enforce the provisions of this agreement, change the ingredients back, and get your, uh, you know, get religion as far as the social mission goes. And it almost went to court. It almost ended up Ben and Jerry's, it almost ended up with Ben and Jerry's suing the company that owned it, which would have been a really interesting lawsuit. And a lot of people at Ben and Jerry's would have been hurt had that lawsuit become public. But fortunately, Unilever came to the negotiating table and basically changed the way they managed Ben and Jerry's at that point. And the changes that Unilever made allowed for a real uh, negotiation to take place between the two parties. It isn't like it isn't like everyone at Unilever's at Unilever immediately um, agreed with or respected the Ben and Jerry's philosophy, but they did get the memo that they needed to live up to the terms of this agreement. So essentially this old fight between people who believe that the purpose of business is to just to make money for shareholders and the and people who believe that business has an obligation to the community, because of this sale agreement, this fight has been sort of captured in a legal document that sets up a negotiation. And the two sides of the argument have to come to an agreement for the business to move forward. And that basically started happening in 2009, and it's worked way better than anybody thought it would. Um, it's gotten to the point now where Unilever, the CEO of Unilever goes all over the world talking about you know how great his business is. He's constantly talking about sustainability, climate change, the empowerment of women, really you know big, meaty, central, difficult global problems. Uh, and this guy's the CEO of Unilever is a Dutchman named Paul Pullman. And he, a lot of, a lot of multinational CEOs talk about this stuff and how they're really trying to change it. Pullman is constantly saying, look, we are serious about this. We own Ben and Jerry's. Um, look at, uh, you know, look at what they're doing. So in a way, this little stubborn little group of Vermonters, uh, who lost the fight and got gobbled up by the multinational, ended up sort of infecting it with their own values. And now they're, in a way, kind of leading it. Um, and that's just one of the ways that the story has kind of um, taken an interesting turn. Um, there's a whole other aspect, which is that Ben & Jerry's has become a sort of um, 
a cautionary tale and also an, a, an inspiring tale for a new generation of socially conscious entrepreneurs, uh, many of whom are doing business here in Tucson, people who are 40, 40 and younger and who are really trying to structure their businesses so that the business has a dual purpose. It, it makes a profit, but it also attacks social problems at the root and not just by making donations to, uh, to causes. You're listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Joined in the studio today with Brad Edmondson, independent journalist. He was in Tucson for the 2015 Festival of Books uh, with his book, Ice Cream Social, The Struggle for the Soul of Ben and Jerry's. Are there businesses out there that follow this model, this Ben and Jerry's model? Yeah, there's actually a movement um, that takes the idea of putting a dual mission into your corporate charter and um, using it as the basically the, the constitution for your business. And it's called uh, Benefit Corps. Benefit Corporations are B Corps. And one of the um, one of the inspirations for the people who came up with benefit corporations uh, was the the first generation of socially responsible businesses like Ben and Jerry's, but not just Ben and Jerry's. There were other others as well. Um, like like what? Well, the Body Shop was the other big one. Um, there was a a, a, a a personal care products company called Tom's of Maine. Uh, Stonyfield Yogurt was one. Um, people also uh, put Patagonia, the outdoor products, outdoor clothing company in that mix, although Patagonia had a fundamentally different outcome. They never lost control of the company. But there were the all of these companies, uh, along with Ben & Jerry's, that were sort of coming up with this new model of, of being a modern um, uh, national corporation and yet, and yet uh, being communitarian at the same time. And they all went down around the same time. They were sold one after another right around the year 2000. And this was profoundly disillusioning, but also uh, in a way validating to people who had pushed them because it proved that these these uh, organizations worked as businesses. They were successful enough that multinationals paid really big money to get them. Consumers love this model especially educated affluent consumers, they will reward companies that have a positive social benefit in their charters. So a, a guy named Jay Cohen Gilbert and several others who had also sold out um, their companies and were kind of disillusioned by the process started this movement called um, uh, Benefit Corporations. And the idea is that you charter the corporation so that it has a dual purpose and in addition to being chartered to make a profit, it's chartered to produce a social benefit. And you need to produce two annual reports every year. One is your financial report, just like a normal corporation that shows profit and loss and depreciation and all that stuff. But then there's another one, which is far far newer and far less worked out, but is, to me, far more interesting, which is called a social audit where you attempt to quantify the impact that your business is making on society using metrics that can be measured and updated the way accounting metrics can be. And so um, there's a couple of benefit corporations uh, here in Tucson. The TFS Solar 
is a, a certified B Corp where they voluntarily hew to certain standards. And then the Arizona legislature last year, uh, or a couple of years ago, passed a law which went into effect in January, allowing corporations to be chartered in Arizona as benefit corporations. That just started on January 1st. And um, I believe there there may be one or two chartered B Corps in Arizona, but it's really only been, you know, less than four months that this law has been in effect. So it's an area that's going, I think, to grow because the 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 message really resonates with younger business people. And it's uh, Ben & Jerry's is one of the reasons why um, this movement's taking off. It's a very strong national movement. Um, listeners can go to uh, bcorporation.net to find out more about it. But there's something like 1,900 benefit corporations all over the world right now. Uh, some of them are, are certified where they voluntarily hew to certain standards, and some of them are chartered where it's written into their charter documents. But they're they're all over the world. They're doing all kinds of things. Ben & Jerry's was certified as a B Corp a couple of years ago. Patagonia is a B Corp. Uh, Campbell Soup bought a B Corp last year and not only allowed it to remain a B Corp, they actually chartered it in Delaware as a benefit corporation. Because more and more multinational managers understand that walking the talk in terms of social benefit is a really powerful way to make not only your customers loyal, but also your employees and your suppliers, and really to get a, a very high-quality product to market in a way that makes a profit. Brad Edmondson, uh, is Ben & Jerry's at a status quo point? Is it still continuing forward? And what's next for you? What are you working on after Ice Cream Social, the struggle for the soul of Ben & Jerry's? Well, you know, this book, um, I finished writing this book in July 2013. It was published in January 2014. And in the um, year and a half since I stopped writing it, uh, Ben & Jerry's has done quite a lot of new stuff. Um, ben & Jerry's is now open to store. Ben & Jerry's is sold in 36 countries. As I said earlier, Unilever saw the potential to make a national brand into a global brand. Unilever does business in every country in the globe. And um, so Ben & Jerry's opened a store in Brazil a few months ago, um, and it's continuing to go into these new markets. And it, <laughs> it it's a little ironic, given the background of its employees and, and some of the beliefs that its board members still have, but um, it's probably the most profitable division of Unilever. It's making money hand over fist. And so even executives with very traditional profit-oriented backgrounds, have to step back and let Ben & Jerry's run because it's really, just in terms of profit and loss, a raging success right now. Every time Ben & Jerry's goes into a new country, though, they, first of all, assess the, um, the social problems of that country and f get to know the activists who are addressing those social problems at the grassroots level, not at the UN level or the university level, really citizens groups. So for example, when Ben & Jerry's was uh, planning to go into Brazil, they looked at the, um, the, the indigenous landless movement in Brazil, which is absolutely enormous and fairly well organized. 
all all of these uh, indigenous people who don't have rights to their land, um, who've been who've been really making a big ruckus uh, in Brazil to not be forced off their land and to get more and more rights to 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 do what they've always done. And they're you know they're not a particularly popular group of people with um, with lawyers and politicians and executives who uh, who live their lives through legal contracts. The Ben and Jerry's decided that they would support those people. Um, here in Tucson, the Ben and Jerry's Foundation has been giving money to Pandlef Productions and other uh, gr- other grassroots groups that are supporting. Um, the rights of uh, undocumented immigrants here in Tucson. So they're really not afraid to give money to things and to support things that will piss people off um, because they know that their core customers will love them more for being courageous and living up to their values. So Ben and Jerry's is continuing to grow, but still in a very interesting way. Myself, I mean, I, I came to this a couple of years ago, and I don't want to spend the rest of my career talking about this ice cream company. But I think, <laughs> although it is delicious ice cream, you know, don't get me wrong, and I think it's a great story. But what I'm focusing on now is more the benefit corporations and this movement of young entrepreneurs who are trying to make their businesses succeed without checking their values at the door when they start selling. And um, that's an area where I think there's a tremendous amount of experimentation uh, there's a tremendous, there are a lot of inspiring stories to be told, and there are a lot of other stories where companies are claiming to be all that and are not living up to their, uh, to, to their claims. And so for a journalist, it's a great place to be because you can write a celebratory story about a, a business that's really doing great stuff one day, and then you can nail somebody the next day. Um, and both of those are fun stories to write. So that's what I'm doing. Reader, uh, the, your listeners can learn more about it at, at two websites. Uh, one is icecreamsocialbook.com. That's the book's website. And then at bradedmondson.com. Uh, that's E-D-M-O-N-D-S-O-N, bradedmondson.com. There's going to be more information about this uh, wider B Corp coverage. Well, thanks for coming into the studios today, Brad Edmondson, independent journalist and author of Ice Cream Social, The Struggle for the Soul of Ben and Jerry's. He was in Tucson for the 2015 Festival of Books. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Thanks, Amanda.